Truth Espresso, episode 174. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hey everyone, happy Easter, happy Resurrection Day. This is your host, Daniel Minnick, along with my sweet and beautiful co-host, my wife, Chelsea Minnick. And we are here to talk about the events of the Bible surrounding the Easter season, Resurrection Day. And we are continuing the series that we started two weeks ago. And last week we left off at the Garden of Gethsemane. And so we're going to go from the arrest in the garden and kind of walk through the events and just kind of, you know, informally take some thoughts from it. And so here to discuss that is my sweet, beautiful co-host and wife, Chelsea. So thank you for doing this with me again, sweetheart. Yes, it's fun to have these discussions with you. (laughs) And so, as we last left off, we're at the Garden of Gethsemane, and the disciples that Jesus took with him, the inner circle there, they were falling asleep, and Jesus would tell them, couldn't you wait with me for even an hour? I know I've heard that verse taken out of context to use for things like Eucharistic adoration, but <laughs> I heard a Catholic lady one time on Facebook groups ask about Eucharistic adoration, like the idea that you have the elements there before the consecration or or maybe before you partake for an hour and then the verse to support the idea that you can adore the elements before you partake for an hour is Jesus saying what could you not wait with me for even an hour (laughs) yeah Interesting. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was kind of strange use of that verse, but (laughs) nevertheless, yeah, Jesus' disciples fell asleep, and then the second time, he told them, take your rest, you know, the Son of Man's going to go to be betrayed, and then eventually had them come with him. So I was recently listening to an account of the progression from Palm Sunday to the resurrection, and they were describing this part in the garden that it was really late in the mm, night. Yeah. And that's why like they had a huge day of events going on. Mm. And then it's really late when they're in the garden. So <laughs> that's kind of why yeah. it was hard for them to stay awake too. Just being later after an eventful day. Yeah. I don't think his disciples were just bored and that's why they fell asleep. They had a long day, but. They were still ignorant of just what was going on, what was heavy on Jesus' mind there. And yeah, so eventually, as Jesus was thinking about, the soldiers came. (laughs) And the different gospel accounts will have different perspectives, or, you know, you can get the whole picture of what happened as you read the different gospel accounts. But the Gospel of John has the interesting incident where Jesus asks them, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus says, I am, or I am he, you know, and then the soldiers fall back to the ground. And then, you know, 
So they're kind of startled there. They get back up, and then he asks again, who do you seek? You'd think that they would be kind of like, okay, what happened? Um, Do we say this again? But they're doing their duty, so they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And then he says, I told you that I am he. (laughs) In some ways, it seems kind of like mockery, but I told you that I'm the one. Why aren't you getting me? (laughs) Do you think they were in shock that he was so willing to admit that he was who he was, not trying to deny, like, oh, I'm not that person, you know, check the next garden over or something. (laughs) Yeah, I know Judas was with them, so he probably pointed them out or pointed out Jesus like there he is, you know, or he's over here. I'm going to point him out to you by kissing him. That's I guess. So they they know he's within the group there. And Jesus, being the leader of the group, asks, who are you after? (laughs) But yeah, I know there's lots of theories about why the soldiers fell to the ground, you know, especially those who would deny Jesus' deity will claim that it's like, he had such virtuous moral character that it overwhelmed them or something, you know, like, sure, maybe that could be part of it, but I think it was a kind of a display of his power too. Mm-hmm. And it's also a display to indicate, you know, just as he says, no one takes my life from me. I give it of my own accord. And so he's not going to resist. And to show that no matter what happens, the politics, as we mentioned, are going to move people to do things that seem irrational, but for the sake of politics and duty there. So I guess one question I have about this section, are the soldiers that are coming, they're part of the temple, mm, yeah. right? Yeah. They're, and more, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I think they're hired by the uh, Sanhedrin there, the priest, the high priest, because you had the servant of the high priest there. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so if they're the soldiers for the high priest and the high priest, they were trying to find any reason mm. to put Jesus yeah. behind bars or kill him, whatever mm-hmm. they wanted to do, get rid of him. So with Jesus saying, I am, Mm. he's proclaiming that he's God and that eventually that's what they go with to arrest him, Mm. saying that he's claiming to be God and... Yeah, I mean, he doesn't say a whole lot in his defense, you know, as as Isaiah 53 says, you know, he kept silent, but it doesn't mean as some critics of the Bible say, oh, Isaiah says he kept silent, but we have words that he said there, so there's a contradiction. No, it means he didn't try to defend himself to avoid the consequences, that's what it means, you know. Yeah. But yeah, there are a few things he says that are recorded in, in the trials in the gospels and they're of note you know so just interesting like okay this whole time where we read before they're trying to this week leading up to this they're like okay Mm. let's question him and see if we can trap him yeah let's question him here and see if we can trap him and they're not and then all of a sudden he's just like yep i'm going to proclaim i'm god (laughs) and they're like okay now we have the grounds to arrest you because you're calling blasphemy and yeah I mean, I'm not quite sure if they understood his words, I am, that way, but they certainly showed the power of <laughs> of the God who said them to knock the soldiers down. But they'll find out in the trial, because they're trying to get him to say things for which they can accuse him, and he does say something that they'll say, "It's this is blasphemy. 
what's interesting, so you already brought up that like during the Passion Week, they're trying to ask him questions and trap him. And Jesus seems to make note of that when the soldiers are there to arrest him, because in the, all the gospel accounts, he says something to the fact that, you know, why are you coming at me with swords and staffs? You know, you could have done that earlier when I was teaching in the temple, but what I was teaching in the synagogues and the temple is nothing that you have, you know, it's nothing new. You've heard it all. So why did it take you until now to arrest me? You know, I've said nothing secretly. I haven't taught anything different, but basically he's showing the hypocrisy and the condemnation on them there that, okay, so now you're going to arrest me. On what grounds, you know, and if you wanted to arrest me earlier for the grounds that you're going to arrest me now, you could have done it earlier. (laughs) So I heard that one of the reasons they sought him during the night hours like this Mm. is that it was actually illegal (laughs) to have any trial. Oh, yeah. And do an arrest. Like this whole process here was actually kind of something that they were trying to keep quiet and try and find reasons (laughs) before they brought it to light. And yeah. so that's kind of why there, it was late in the night and mm. it was more of a secret mission almost for them yeah. to do this. And think that this was during Passover week, you yeah. know, the kind of the gall to do that, to try to arrest him. Probably another reason is because people were focused on celebrating Passover week that, okay, it's now or never, you know, mm. we're trying to find a reason we can't trap him, but we've got to do it before the week is out, you know. Well, and the significance behind all yeah, this taking place, Yeah, of course, place, they don't right? realize that yeah. either. <laughs> yeah. But that's where you can kind of see mm-hmm. where everything is kind of falling into place to fulfill the prophecies and mm-hmm. just come together and point to Christ, the Redeemer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Even as cool. John the Baptist, as he's going to baptize Jesus, you know, he must increase, I must decrease. He's basically handing the torch over to Jesus. I'm the forerunner of Jesus. He says, behold, the Lamb of God, which take away the sin of the world. That's the initiation, basically, of Jesus' recognition, his earthly, earthly ministry there, that proclamation. And now he's getting arrested. He's going to be put to death during Passover week <laughs> where they kill the lambs and yeah and yeah <laughs> it seems like a very supernatural <laughs> type of thing here how this worked out <laughs> with yeah. Jesus to be the Passover lamb mm-hmm. so yeah also you had Peter who obviously at this point you know even as Jesus said <laughs> several times I'm going to be arrested and killed but yet Peter like you know, ever the the impetuous Peter, as he's often called, drew his sword out, cut off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. And then Luke records, Luke, the physician, records that Jesus picked up the ear and put it back on. And he told Peter, put up your sword. Shall I not drink of the cup that the Father gave me to drink? You know, in different ways the Gospels render that. So, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like, Peter, you're not, you, I've already told you <laughs> this is what's going to happen. This is what the Father's given me to do. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I thought it was interesting just reading that account again and how that was actually one of the last earthly miracles. Yeah. I mean, besides resurrection, <laughs> I guess that was the last miracle that Jesus did before mm-hmm. going to the cross yeah. and that it was 
<laughs> like nothing at that time considered significant work. Okay, it's in the wee hours of the night, just a few people there. It wasn't this huge crowd to see everything. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is about to go to death row and he knows this, but still he takes that time and he sees that person that is hurting mm-hmm. and he stops and wants to help that person. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think that's so amazing that Jesus is like, he's going through and knows what he's going to go through. One of the hardest things ever, but he's still not even thinking about himself. He's like, oh, this person Mm. is in need (laughs) and reaches out and helps him. Yeah, exactly. And he didn't do that so as to avoid (laughs) an arrest. He did that to heal the ear of the guy who's part of condemning an innocent man. (laughs) And yet he did that. He didn't have to do that. He didn't do that to gain anything for himself because Jesus was not a politician. (laughs) If he were a politician, he'd be like, wait, just a minute. Let's get a crowd of people to see me do this. (laughs) But he did it, as you said, in the wee hours of the night and not in front of any crowd, knowing that this was not going to change anything, which is pretty amazing that it, you know, (laughs) all these people, they see all these miracles and one experiences it even at his arrest. And yet it doesn't change what happens <laughs> did that soldier have faith after that i don't know i don't i didn't read any of the accounts okay. where he did it yeah. doesn't say anything <laughs> I yeah i mean we see at peter's denials where a relative of malchus there you know is warming his hands at the fire so as jesus is arrested Peter, you know, the one who cut off Malchus's ear, who's probably still like trying to figure out what do I do right now? He's following Jesus from afar off or far from far away. He's kind of cautiously like, okay, I want to see what's going on here. I don't want to lose sight of him, but I don't want to be close enough or you know, possibly something might happen to me, you know, <laughs> like he's <laughs> a friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, I'm not sure if we talked about this part too much, but Judas betrayal. Oh, yes. With the kiss. Yeah. And just Judas. the, yeah, yeah, just the depth of that betrayal, because yeah. to betray, like to give someone a kiss like that is saying, mm-hmm. you're my friends, you're mm-hmm. my dear one. Mm-hmm. That was kind of in that custom, that culture at that time. And actually, a lot of cultures still do that today. Like a kiss on the cheek is showing that, you know, I care about you. Mm -hmm. And so for Judas to Mm -hmm. betray Jesus using that symbol of I care about you, but at the same time, Mm I am betraying you. And just thinking about how Jesus handled that how grieved he must have been Mm. to have one of his close disciples knowing that he just betrayed him (laughs) and he cared about Judas and yet there's only so much you can do because Judas still had his own choice to make to yeah. fall in that yeah as the uh, it mentions comparing king david that applied that passage where he says like my own dear friend who was close to me has betrayed me and so you have that parallel playing out there and so yeah judas wasn't just a tag along he was close to jesus even though jesus <laughs> john 6 it mentions he picked judas and he mentions you know one of them as a devil and stuff like that so he did even shows that he will make friends he will be close with someone that he knows has his issues and he picks them even knowing that and so 
But doesn't that kind of help give people hope? Because it's like, okay, Jesus could have been like, nope, you're not coming (laughs) in our group. You know, there's something up with you. Mm. But instead, he's still reaching out. And I'm sure hopeful that Judas will repent and have a change of heart. And Mm. that is just, I think a lot of times when we see sin or we see evil, that it's so easy for us to quickly just turn our back and be like, oh, you're hopeless. <laughs> but instead of being like, okay, wait, if they're still breathing, there's still hope. We can still pray for that person and ask God to soften their hearts and make them just open to hearing the truth and the gospel. And I just think that mm-hmm. like even, okay, so through the whole discipleship process, Jesus never gave up on Judas. And even right there when he betrayed him, Jesus kind of like wipe you yeah. out or well, away with you. The, yeah, yeah denied him or done something to defend himself or yeah. get back at Judas, and he didn't. He was like, "Well, oh. he, he pronounces the woes on the scribes and Pharisees, but he was never like outwardly, verbally harsh on Judas." Yeah, mm-hmm. he told. Yeah, he did say, "Woe to the one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed." It'd be better that he'd never been born. And you think that would like shock Judas to his core? You know, it's amazing how someone can be so hard-hearted. Like he was with Jesus, he traveled around with him for three and a half years. He saw all these amazing miracles. He probably saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. He got the warnings from Jesus that you know this is it. You know, you do this, and it's doom for you. And yet he still went ahead and did it. It's just that does perplex the mind to think about how that works out. <laughs> but Jesus kept extending, mm-hmm. I guess you can say grace. He got, yeah, Judas got all the grace he could get there. Because he didn't even say, well, unto him who betrays the Son of God mm-hmm. until, was yeah, not the last, the last supper? supper? Yeah, that's when he said it. So, yeah, over three years yeah. of like <laughs> waiting and hoping and like, all right, come on, Judas. <laughs> And then Mm. it's like, okay, it's determined he's doing it. So now we move on from Gethsemane. We're starting the trials of Jesus. And yeah, this is definitely a kangaroo court right here, at least um, in front of the Jews, because, you know, it wasn't, as you mentioned, Suyar, it wasn't Roman soldiers who came and arrested him. It was soldiers that work for the high priest. So they're kind of like, okay, it's now or never. We're going to arrest him. We're going to try to figure out how to convict him, even though we've never been able to trap him before, just as Jesus said, you could have arrested me earlier. I haven't changed anything I've said. There's no basis for you to come at me with weapons and arrest me now so he's letting them know for certain you know you have no grounds but we're doing this and so there were basically six trials if you divide it up a certain way mention it's you know in the evening it's kind of later in the evening so first you have it just before the high priests annas and caiaphas and then eventually you end up with a kind of a second trial happening after that as the full Sanhedrin gathered. But so with the first trial, you know, the questions would be like, what is your doctrine? What have you been teaching? And Jesus gives a similar answer as he gave to the soldiers in the garden. He says, like, I have taught in the synagogue and temple openly. I haven't taught anything in secret. What you've heard before, you would hear today. I haven't changed anything, so... <laughs> so I think it was interesting, too. So they first do Annas, the high priest, and then they bring him to Caiaphas. And they actually go to Caiaphas' house 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that was something that was also illegal at that time to have any legal proceedings go on at someone's house like mm, that. Yeah. So it was still part of that. All right, we need to find something here so we can bring it before <laughs> the higher up people. And Yeah, because they're trying to find a grounds of accusation that they can then bring him to the Roman courts. So just keep questioning him, and eventually if he says anything, ah, there it is, there's the accusation, let's bring him to Pilate. <laughs> so then it's interesting when they bring him to the temple courts, that's when he proclaims, when they ask him, like, who do you claim you mm-hmm. are? And he says, I am. Oh, yeah. They ask him, like, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? You know, are you the son of God? Yeah. So eventually when they couldn't get anything out of him, then they had these false accusers try to like come up with things like, I heard him say this, you know, so you had false accusers that said, "Uh, he said he could destroy the temple and in three days raise it up. Jesus remains silent. And so then the high priest is like, why aren't you answering your accusers? <laughs> and then finally, just in their fit there, they finally ask, are you the Christ? Tell us plainly, you know, like, all right, let's get down to where the rubber meets the road. Just answer this question. And they think that they'll find the accusation based on asking these straightforward questions. You know, and then this is where Jesus actually does kind of answer a question to move things forward, <laughs> you know, where he says, I think it's re- reference to Daniel 7, where he says, I am, or you have said, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting in the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of heaven. You know, now, so he's claiming to be the one mentioned in Daniel chapter 7, which I know I've talked about in uh, earlier episodes of Truth Espresso, that Daniel chapter 7, you have the Hebrew word, uh, and it says that the people worship him, and that also in the Greek word, it's the it's latreo, which you know is the kind of worship given to God. The saints shall worship him forever. Of his kingdom there shall be no end, and the saints shall worship him forever. I forget the reference, but basically it's like, Okay, you can put two and two together and realize that although some Jews would say, okay, this is just the Messiah, he's claiming to be the Messiah, but the Messiah is worshipped in the way that God is worshipped in the, toward the end of Daniel chapter 7. So he's claiming to be this divine Messiah figure. And so that's when they stand up and the high priest tears his robe and says, what further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. And then that's when people start to get a little violent. They start to spit on him and strike him with their palms. They're Will Smithing him. Sorry. So I was wondering at the temple courts, is that during the daytime now, do you think? Like early morning? Let's see. So what's going on here is still like really late it could be like mm-hmm. after midnight so it's still dark out but okay. i was wondering how they got all those people mm. to come to the court at that time 
I was wondering, like, okay, is it early in the morning to where it would be considered a legal yeah. hearing? <laughs> it would seem like with these false accusers, these were people who they mm-hmm. gathered and planned to be there because this was a kangaroo court. There, oh, okay. It was a fishing expedition. They were trying mm-hmm. to, okay, you know, instead of having an accusation and then trying to see if he's guilty of it, they're trying to figure out what could he be guilty of based on questioning him whatever they get out of his mouth you know what you say can be used against you so yeah jesus knew that (laughs) and -hmm. what they're trying to do and it was a political (laughs) court and jesus finally said the thing that was going to you know move things on from there by answering the question truthfully (laughs) this was a pretty masterminded thing they did because (laughs) They didn't have email service (laughs) or text messaging. So somehow they were able to, I mean, not somehow, but they definitely planned this out to bring (laughs) these people together and have this go down the way it did. It's just interesting that when you have someone like Jesus who is innocent, that these people have to plot so well and so Hmm. detailed to be able to trap him. Yeah. be able to accuse him when judas went before the last supper like earlier that day to meet with the chief priests and say that he's gonna betray jesus i'm thinking that probably set the wheels in motion to plan this out (laughs) yeah so i have a question for you i'm gonna put you on trial oh (laughs) let's see will i answer truthfully is there anything political about this (laughs) No, just to add a little bit of fun <laughs> in the midst of mm, yeah. getting into deeper, heavier stuff. Yeah. So, what is your favorite Easter hymn? <laughs> hmm. Um, I think my favorite Easter hymn is Oh Sacred Head Now Wounded. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just love the emotion and the tune of it is just so majestic and thought provoking you know it's like reflection thinking about how christ suffered and why did he do that for me mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah do you have a favorite easter hymn sweetheart? oh you're not supposed to question <laughs> me <laughs> um i think mine would be man of sorrows oh yeah <laughs> but I also like the old rugged cross. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of hard to pick between the two. It's one of those kind of homey hymns or something, <laughs> or you call it like. Yeah, just a classic. Yeah, hymn. classic, yeah. <laughs> but I think some of those hymns, they just have that deep message of what the gospel is and what it means. And I think it's fun. We just did a hymn sing last night on Good Friday. And mm-hmm. I think it's just fun to reflect through some of the words that these writers put into song and just telling and proclaiming about who Jesus is and what he did for us and what Calvary meant and what his resurrection means. And mm-hmm. I think it's fun to do hymns like that, yeah. that proclaim truth. <laughs> yeah. And to know that there's just so many songs written about this, that people have thought through deeply about just the significance of this. Like this is the most amazing, most important part of all of history. <laughs> And so many people have turned it into Easter bunnies, <laughs> yeah, egg hunts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, 
the pagan feast of Ishtar, which is kind of like the precursor to Easter. It was around the same time as Pashqua or Passover, so yeah, there's kind of the overlap there. And yeah, we don't see anything wrong with candy and eggs and cute bunnies and stuff like that for even for Christians, as long as we you know we keep the truth of the resurrection day in mind and we celebrate that. Kids can have candy too. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. that reminded me of a story, right? Quick, they're cute kids. I'm biased. <laughs> You're biased about our, our cute kids, kids being yeah. cute. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I just love that watching kids grow and understand more. <laughs> so we have the resurrection eggs. Oh, yeah. So it's yeah. a dozen eggs, and each egg you open, it has a piece in there, like a donkey or praying hands or nails, different symbols that tell the story of that Passion Week. And we were going through that, and the second to youngest kid was getting excited about the last <laughs> egg, and we're like, yeah, it's going to be a surprise. <laughs> and then as soon as we opened it, and it's there's nothing in there, <laughs> she got these big eyes and dropped her jaw, and she was like, what? It's empty. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And we're like, yes, that's the surprise. This one reminds us that Jesus is no longer in the grave. It's empty. <laughs> then she kind of understood the correlation. She was all excited. But. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Big surprise. The surprise is that it's empty. And there, you know, that's, that should be exciting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Back to our trials here. <laughs> a short commercial break there, but yeah. <laughs> Back to our trials, and we have the uh, full Sanhedrin there later in the evening, or as it could be like dark out after midnight, and then we see Peter still like kind of from a distance observing the trials, and he, he sees like people smacking Jesus in the face and telling him, you know, prophesy, who slapped you and stuff. And so Peter's getting discouraged. He feels powerless. So now, okay, if he had any expectation that Jesus was going to let off a miracle bomb there and okay, you know, I'm going to be put on trial, but ha ha, these losers don't know what's going to happen. You know, they see Jesus being smacked around here and accused of things of blasphemy. And then, so then you have Peter, who Jesus told him before, you know, the earlier that day, you know, where Peter said, I'm willing to go to death for you. Then Jesus says, will you, Peter? Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So then during the trials here, late in the evening, it's cold out. You know, it's dark at like around midnight or so. And people are warming their hands by the fires there. And then you have a young woman who asks Peter, you know, aren't you one of his disciples? And, and Peter's like, I don't know. I don't know that man. And then also one who was uh, a relative of Malchus, you know, okay, so now you have someone who knows Malchus, knows that Malchus had his ear cut off and was actually, I can't remember if he was there or not in the people who went, but even if he wasn't, he knows that one of Jesus' disciples there cut off his ear, but Jesus healed it. And it's like, I thought I recognize you, aren't you one of you know, you were one of his disciples. And then Peter tells him, yeah, I know not the man. And so, yeah, like as the third 
denial happens you know the third person asks him you know aren't you the dis- one of his and then this is when things are getting to like early in the morning you know it's about dawn you know he does his third denial and then he hears the rooster crow and yeah I just can't even imagine what it would be like to be Peter at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, Jesus tells you three times and, you know, going to deny me and then the rooster crows to start the day. <laughs> so right at the end of the day where Jesus says before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And then that happens. And to realize what he said was true, you know, he just realizes the significance of it. So, you know, first he's denying him. He probably feels guilty about it, but it's kind of like a matter of self-preservation. You know, what's going on? Jesus is in trouble. They're accusing him of blasphemy. What do I believe right now? It's in my best interest at this point just to you know deny that i know him because would i be put on a cross or something you know would i be in trouble or killed i'm not ready for that for something i'm not even sure of myself (laughs) and so yeah when he hears that you know you gotta think like okay jesus is gonna be led away like a lamb to the slaughter like seemingly helplessly he's losing but his words still rang true, and I just denied him three times before the rooster crowed, just as he said. And so that's when Peter, you know, says he felt really bad. He felt guilty and stuff. So then at that point, it's kind of like, okay, the cause is lost. I'm just useless. I'm going to go back to fishing. <laughs> you know, like later on, you know, Jesus had even told him, you know, Peter, I have prayed for you that your strength does not fail. And when you are converted, you know, thinking about Jesus probably had in mind, you know, you're going to go through this period of doubt and denial. But once you're converted from that, strengthen your brethren. And that's what happens as we see Peter kind of becomes a leader in the early church there. The Christian Podcast Community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ, truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much, much more. So check us out at christianpodcastcommunity.org christianpodcastcommunity.org One stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts. Now I think we're on our fourth trial. <laughs> yeah, so they found the Annas and Caiaphas, then the full Sanhedrin, and then at dawn they found him guilty, quote-unquote, <laughs> that they're going to, okay, they found the accusation that now they can bring to Pilate, and because they didn't have authority to kill someone, the Roman government had that authority, <laughs> Even though, oh, we're free, you know, we're free people who've never been in bondage, yet they have to appeal to the Roman government to carry out their own law of what counts as execution. Because even Pilate asked them about their law, (laughs) 
but Pilate is managing their, the execution of their law. But yeah, so when the Jews bring Jesus before Pilate, then Pilate kind of asks similar questions like, okay, what's going on here? What's the accusation? What have you been teaching that has these people riled up here? And Jesus kind of gives similar answers about who he is, you know, what he's been teaching, what I've been teaching has been public. But then Pilate also asks Jesus, well, okay, they say you're a king. Are you a king? And Jesus says, you say it. So basically, Pilate's like, okay, I'm not finding any fault in this man. You need to bring him to Herod. See what (laughs) Herod says. And so Matthew, Mark, and John, if you were to, to read them, it looks like there's just one trial before Pilate. But, you know, essentially it kind of is, but then there's kind of a, you know, an intermission there. So (laughs) where Pilate then sends Jesus out to Herod, who, you know, Pilate didn't like Herod. Herod didn't like Pilate, but Pilate figures that Herod might get something out of him because he's not finding fault. Like, okay, they're bringing this accusation, but I'm not finding anything that would make him worthy of death. What am I missing? Well, maybe Herod can get that out of him. So he sends it to Herod, and now first Herod's kind of like, ooh, it's Jesus. I've heard so much about him, all the amazing things he's going to do. Okay, now that you're here, can you do a miracle? (laughs) And Jesus is not going to play the game here. He's not going to do a miracle in his trial to please Herod there. But then there's all these, you know, the Jews before Herod there, you know, because it's kind of like, Okay, we got to make sure that Herod is upset with Jesus. So as Jesus is not doing a miracle before Herod, the Jews are just, let, you know, throwing the accusation bombs at Herod, you know, to show he said this, he said this, he did this, whatever. And since Herod wanted a miracle from Jesus, and yet it's like, okay, wait, are all these reports of miracles false reports? (laughs) I'm not getting the evidence that you are able to do what has been said of you, and you're not doing anything here, and yet all these people are saying you're a liar, and that you're claiming to be something you're not, and, you know, like, this is really disappointing. And so, eventually, Herod has him, I think, puts a robe on him, and kind of mocks the idea of him being a king, and then, you know, sends him back to Pilate, and then because of this, Herod and Pilate get a little bit of more of a friendship there. So it's kind of like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So he's deeply disappointed this Jesus. So it's like, oh, Pilate sent him to me and oh, this is what happened. So maybe Pilate has a little bit of faith in me, you know, maybe there's something there. And so you know, because of Jesus, Pilate and Herod there have a little bit closer of a partnership there. <laughs> so the final trial, Jesus is back before Pilate. And I think in Matthew twenty seven nineteen, Pilate's wife even comes out and is telling Pilate, like, don't do anything to this man because I've had dreams that we should not cause any harm to Jesus. <laughs> and Pilate kind of, I don't know if he dismisses it necessarily or that 
<laughs> he's kind of like, well, I'm not sure what else to do because I can't yeah. please my wife and the people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Pilate, you know, as much as like after, you know, reading these accounts, it's all, like you feel sorry for Pilate because he's put in a difficult situation and he really didn't feel like Jesus was guilty of anything worthy of death. So, and he has all this pressure, but you have to say, Pilate, you have no convictions here. He's not willing to stand his ground on it. So, yeah, his wife kind of is disturbed by the dream there and tells him. And then Pilate's political <laughs> response basically is to say, I find no fault with him. Do what you will, but I wash my hands of this. Of this. So, basically, Pilate's trying to say, you know, don't blame me if this was the wrong thing to do, but... I have the power, you know, even as he told Jesus, you know, kind of like, aren't you afraid of the authority I have? And Jesus tells him, you know, you have no authority except what's given to you of God. And even with that, Pilate saying, I find no fault with him. <laughs> but um, Pilate's political response is to say, wash his hands of the issue, say he finds no fault, but still to condemn an innocent man to death. <laughs> and just to say, well, it's not my fault. The devil made me do it. <laughs> the, you know, the Jews made me do it. But one of Pilate's kind of last ditch efforts, you know, to avoid problems with sending an innocent person to death is where he says, wait, don't you guys have a custom that I release a prisoner on the Passover? And so he's expecting them that they're like, oh, okay, you said there's no fault. So I guess we release this prisoner here. But they had in mind to release Barabbas, you know, they say, release Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Mm. <laughs> and yeah, this event just screams politics <laughs> because, you know, the one who committed no violence, the one who only had good. Now he, he exposed hypocrisies for sure, which is just like today, you know, even at this time, that's a greater crime than killing and stealing. But they were so, so eager to have Jesus crucified when they had no just accusation against him that they're willing to say, release Barabbas, release this person who might commit another crime, might steal, might kill again. The law says that he ought to die, and yet we want him freed because we've got to get rid of this Jesus. He's chapping our hides. <laughs> and so the Jesus who would teach parables would heal. Like How many thousands of people did he heal? He saved their lives. He healed them physically and then also spiritually. And yet it's like, what do we have to do to get rid of Jesus? We're willing to release the lowest of the low and free Barabbas so that we can crucify Jesus. <laughs> I kind of liked that message we heard last night, just kind of thinking about Barabbas perspective yeah. in this. And <laughs> I thought that was kind of a unique mm. thing to think about. Not too often do we think about, okay, Barabbas is standing there <laughs> and he knows like he deserves to yeah. die. He mm -hmm. knows what he has done is wrong. He knows he's guilty. And just like, okay, any minute they're going to call my name to crucify me. And then <laughs> instead they pick Jesus and mm. like he knows that Jesus is 
innocent. It doesn't have the guilt that he does. Mm-hmm. And just yeah. that, I always wonder, like, okay, did Brab, did that convert Brabus? <laughs> like, yeah. seeing that, like, okay, this innocent man is taking my place because <laughs> yeah. I deserved death. I was a prisoner. I had sinned. Mm-hmm. I was deserving of death. But now this man is taking my place. Yeah. Just picture him standing next to Jesus with his chains on. And then Pilate has the soldiers break the chains of Barabbas and free him. And he's Barabbas, who knows, there could have been people reporting this Jesus going around, performing miracles and teaching things. And Barabbas could have heard of that, you know. And then it's like, Barabbas, what he hears from this trial is just okay, there's this innocent man and people are bloodthirsty for his death. And yeah, he stands next to Jesus. The chains are clipped. And then it's like, you know, he feels really guilty, but he knows that he deserves death. But then he's probably thinking, you know, like, I feel sorry for these people who are like so eager to kill this innocent man, you know, like I'm not worthy to be released so that this innocent man could be killed for these obviously political reasons. You know, it's like I should be the one going but they're so desperate to send this Jesus to the cross that they're going to release me. (laughs) So then Pilate had Jesus scourged, whipped, and then sent to be crucified. And then, yeah, this is the difficult part. And, but let's kind of in light of this, Jesus went to the cross. Well, who put him on that cross? (laughs) Because there are people even today who will like, blame different groups of people and say it's their fault you know but we really sh- this should be a reflective question who really did put jesus on the cross and we could answer that from scripture but what's one of the answers that you would have babe or what you know people would say <laughs> okay so what i know people would say would be <laughs> They would try and divide out the Jews Um, and the Romans and kind of have that debate like, oh, the Jews put him on the cross because they started it. Mm. No, the Romans did because they're the ones that Mm. finalized it Mm -hmm. and just kind of having a debate between those two groups. Well, (laughs) they kind of both did. (laughs) Yeah. So the Jews, they did. They were responsible for getting Jesus ultimately to the cross. If they didn't bring the accusations and they didn't have the trial, there w- he wouldn't have stood before Pilate. There wouldn't have been, Jesus wasn't doing anything that was threatening Caesar's reign at that time. So <laughs> yeah, the Jewish religious leaders and those who were shouting crucify him. Yeah. And just as Peter in Acts 2 at Pentecost, the people there were felt guilty. They were cut to the heart and they said, you know, what shall we do? Because the people at this time, you know, as they're shouting crucify him, Pilate is wanting to say, I wash my hands of this. They're, re- they're ready to take the hit. They say his blood be upon us and our children, you know, like that is some crazy politics right there. They're crazy. Like, if what we're doing is unjust, we're willing to take that and our children. You know? mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so Jews, yes, they did send them to the cross. And you mentioned Romans, sweetheart. Yeah, they certainly were involved. And as I mentioned, Pilate, he could have ended it right there, technically speaking. 
Although this was planned out, <laughs> the divine plan, Pilate, you know, humanly speaking, could have just not gone along with that. He could have said, hey, I'm the governor. I say he's innocent. I found no fault with him. So therefore, you can't kill an innocent man. And the Jews there knew that. I mean, they were saying, you're not Caesar's friend. You know, if you don't do this because he's claiming to be a king, you know, if you don't do this, we'll tell Caesar that you're unfaithful. <laughs> yeah, so the Romans did it too. The, the centurion, the Roman soldiers, they committed the acts of nailing him, scourging him. They were responsible for the actual acts of, of the crucifixion. And so, yes, both the Jews and the Romans. But there's more to it than that. <laughs> we see that God himself, the Father, in Isaiah 53.10, it says that it pleased the Lord, or Yahweh, to bruise him, because he hath made him to be an offering for sin. So God put Jesus on the cross. The Father did. It pleased him to bruise Jesus. So God was involved? <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> there could be more. <laughs> it seems like Jesus would also mm. be involved too because he willingly yes. gave his life. Mm -hmm. And like he told, was it his disciples, that he could have called mm. legions of angels to come yeah. and save him. But he was willing and loved the people so much that he wanted to give of his own life. So Jesus mm. was put himself on the cross yeah. in some ways. Yeah, for sure. At John 10, we see Jesus' statements, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He says in John 10, 18, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And so, yes, Jesus put himself on the cross. <laughs> so we have the whole picture there. If anyone's going to just say, you know, Jesus was a martyr. These cruel people put him there. Well, it's true, but that's not the whole picture. And if you miss the fact that Jesus himself put himself on the cross, then maybe you don't understand the fullness of salvation. If you don't understand that Jesus went to the cross willingly, that he himself gave his life of his own accord, of his own will, because that was the means by which he would be the sacrifice, the lamb, as John the Baptist said, who takes away the sin of the world. He did it purposely, along with all the others. So the last group of people that you could say put Jesus on the cross would be uh, yes, I did that. I put that in my notes, too. We all yeah. did. <laughs> because Jesus had to die for the world because we're sinful. Mm, yeah. And that makes all of us accountable for his death. And it wasn't that he was like, oh, those people, <laughs> they <laughs> just keep sinning. And now I have to go do this. It was like, yeah. no, I love these people so much. I'm going to willingly lay down my life for them. So they can have salvation and live with me eternally. <laughs> and I love that verse. No greater love the man. Oh, yeah. Like Jesus this, said, yeah. Lay yeah. down his life for his friends. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that shows how Jesus did it willingly. And he called us friends. He called those who he died for friends. And John, First John, uses the word love a lot to refer to the love of the Father in sending the Son. The love of the Son. How can such a gruesome death and so on be love? But 
<laughs> he wasn't just a martyr. It was it was a propitiation. It was a sacrifice. It was a penal substitution. And so that's how love can be involved. <laughs> and yeah, we all did as Peter says in first Peter two twenty three, I think twenty twenty four. I'm trying to remember the reference there where he says, you know, who himself bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Our sins. So yeah, we all did that. He bore our sins. So if it weren't for our sins, he would not have went to the cross. So yeah, we put him there too. The whole world did. And so yeah, if you want to blame anyone you know, you have a big spectrum there. You have every person, you know, you have the Jews, the Romans, God, the father, Jesus himself, and actually all of us. <laughs> Don't you just have to step back in awe sometimes after going through the trials and up to the crucifixion and just how much suffering Jesus went through and he knew that he was going to go through that suffering but he willingly did that because he had so much love for us. I think mm-hmm. just stepping back and trying to take that in can be overwhelming sometimes mm-hmm. because I don't think we see love like that mm-hmm. very often Oh yeah, <laughs> or not at all. <laughs> I mean, of course, we're sinful people and we're going to fall short of that deep love that Christ has for us. But still just thinking about how we have become such selfish people that yeah. it's no longer we're going to sacrifice of ourselves for someone else. It's okay. What is in it for me? Mm-hmm. And how can I get the best, the fastest? Uh, and yeah. I'm willing to sacrifice my children so I can pursue my degree in college. Yeah. And it just seems like we just see more and more of the selfish mm-hmm. hate, <laughs> yeah. the opposite of exactly. love yeah. that goes around and just reflecting on these passages and the story of the crucifixion here, I think is such a good reminder to us as Christians to accept how much God loves us, no matter where we come from. And that gives us hope too. <laughs> and just thinking of how we can show God's love to other people and actually think of other people too. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, sweetheart. Like, just so much of what the world considers worthy and fighting for rights and stuff is all about competing with each other. I'm fighting for my rights over someone else's rights. It's like a, you know, a zero-sum game that we all have to try to get our part out before the pie is gone, you know. There's just so much of that. Yeah, the politics of today and what people will treat as virtuous. And, yeah, as you mentioned, killing children for convenience people trying to fight for wealth redistribution in the government. Like everything is all about like virtue is just so confused, as you said, selfish because what they live for is their self and everything, you know, and pleasing their self, making the life easier and better for themselves is the greatest virtue. And that's what people are taught and educated today to think that is what virtue is. And, but then you have <laughs> AD 33 blasting through the halls of history and you have Easter Resurrection Sunday that just screams the truth. <laughs> you have 
the greatest, as it's called, the greatest story ever told, <laughs> where it defies all the logic that all the humanistic logic that people have to show the greatest event that ever happened in history is the greatest display of love. And by love, it's not cheap surface level sentimental love. It's selfless dying love, you know, a love that's like, you know, someone who was perfectly innocent, who was God incarnate, who endured something we can't even just comprehend <laughs> just how incredibly awful and difficult it was to <laughs> redeem people who don't deserve it, to pay for sins, you know, the innocent paying the price of the guilty so that the guilty can go free. And Barabbas is kind of a symbol of that. And so that's why the world hates Easter so much. That's why they hate the resurrection. That's why they want to stamp out Christianity, because just like the Jews of the time, just like the Romans of the time, you know, just like people of our day, <laughs> Everything is about getting rid of the truth of Christianity because it's truth. As much as people could see the truth, Jesus said he was the truth. Pilate asked him, what is truth? And that shows people today ask the same question. They don't understand what truth is, but they can see it with their eyes. And they saw Jesus speaking truth. And if you're not willing to embrace the truth, you will fight the truth knowing that it is the truth. And so just as people did at Jesus' day as to why he was crucified and you know paid the penalty for our sins, so it is today people fight what is obviously truth. But the truth stands 2,000 years ago, the truth that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the scriptures to pay for the sins of anyone who believes and understands that this is the payment for their sins. This is sufficient. And so putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, and the victory over sin and death, he rose from the dead, that is the ultimate truth. That will save you. That will give you eternal life. And all the politics of the world will give you nothing but misery and death. <laughs> and so with that, I'd like to end this episode, but I want to get into uh, stuff about the resurrection of Jesus uh, next week. Yeah, we'll talk about more details about the what went on at the crucifixion, the burial and resurrection, and the significance of all that. And so stay tuned. You don't want to miss it. <laughs> yeah, sweetheart. Stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso. God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey, friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.